I may never have met you. We don't go way back. Maybe we wouldn't even be friends if we did. But when you wear a mask, you have my respect. Because your mask doesn't protect you. It protects me. I wear my mask to protect you. Mask up, America. Brought to you by the Ad Council. For the love of football. Tamu on the key. This honestly means a lot to me just to be able to continue playing the sport I love. Touchdown! This is an opportunity of a lifetime. Cardell's not scared. Opportunity to play professional ball. He is not backing down. These guys absolutely love the game of football. For some, it might be the last moments of their professional days, but others are here to shine, to be a name that you remember. Inside the five, and he's in! Another big play! Today, two teams going in opposite directions meet in the nation's capital. The Battle Hawks, with their massive home field advantage, now have to keep momentum going on the road, where Cardell Jones and the defenders have bowled quite well. It's the XFL. My goal is at the end of the year, holding up that championship trophy with my teammates and celebrating. Because we all just love the game. And here come the D.C. defenders on their home turf. Boy, they're happy to be back. It's the XFL on FS1, the Battle Hawks and the defenders this afternoon and here's what is at stake as we take a look to the east standings st louis has been maybe the best team in the league at least right behind houston they're three and one the guardians have really caught fire now you see they're right in the mix so for dc this is a big game trying to keep pace with the front runners in the east division as we welcome you to the broadcast booth that's right good to see you on a sunday afternoon my partner you know him three-time pro bowl tight end greg olson and i'm kevin burkhardt Welcome to Good Seats Still Available, a curious little podcast devoted to exploring what used to be in professional sports. Here's your host, Tim Hanlon. All right, let's get this show on the road. How are you, everybody? It's uh, your pal, Tim. And uh, it's, again, of course, Good Seats Still Available, our curious little podcast journey each and every week into what used to be in professional sports. And uh, as we uh, wrap up for our now second annual year-end holiday spectacular, we welcome you to the proceedings. And what a crappy year to sort of <laughs> go back and listen to and uh, and, uh, div- and and pick apart and uh, uh, and analyze as we uh, we like to do on this uh, holiday uh, year-end uh, special, um, as we now are doing for our second uh, consecutive year. Um, uh, there's probably uh, one of the uh, moments that uh, you probably already forgot about. Jesus, uh, it was only nine months ago. But yeah, there was the XFL. That was from week five, the uh, the fifth and uh, last week, actually, of uh, the XFL uh, back earlier this year. This was uh, from the uh, Fox Sports 1 FS1 broadcast of the uh, St. Louis Battlehawks. Uh, and the D.C. Defenders playing in Audi Field. Uh, and uh, this was on March the 8th. And uh, Kevin Burkhardt and Greg Olson calling all the action. Uh, not to spoil it for you if you're planning on going back and reliving that game uh, on YouTube uh, where it's there in all its glory. By the way, all the games seem to be there all in all its glory. The D.C. Defenders defeated the Battlehawks 15-6. That was the penultimate uh, final game, the penultimate game of the uh, XFL's uh, season. Uh, later in the evening, the uh, 
L.A. Wildcats defeated the uh, Vipers of Tampa Bay 41-34 to for the really last ever game, at least of the 2020 version of the XFL. And we know it's coming back. The Rock and his uh, ex-wife uh, apparently going to sort of come to the rescue and perhaps uh, resuscitate it, uh, we think, in uh, 2022. Um, but uh, there it was, right? The XFL uh, seemingly uh, doing pretty well for itself, actually, on television ratings. Uh, the uh, the attendance at the various stadiums was actually pretty strong and the production quality of the games uh, quite high and the, the play actually uh, quite good as well. But uh, it came to an end like a lot of things uh, this year. Uh, and we're going to get into uh, not only the XFL story, but a whole raft of stuff. Uh, as we record this, uh, literally within the last week, uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff, some of which we talk about with our, uh, our guests this week. Uh, Paul Reeths of uh, StatsCrew.com, uh, also a.k.a. Uh, Mr. USFL, certainly on the stats front, and a couple of old episodes you can uh, spin out there for you, your enjoyment uh, in our previous conversations with Paul. Uh, he joins us this week, uh, our return guest, Andy Crossley, our second ever uh, episode. Uh, he, the um, founder and uh, curator of FunWhileItLasted.net, uh, in certain circles, uh, the uh, uh, the reason, perhaps, uh, one of the uh, uh, the reasons that we got interested in actually not only this genre, but uh, actually uh, getting this podcast up and running. And uh, our old pal Steve Holroyd joins the proceedings this week for our second annual holiday spectacular. He, Mr. Soccer Maven or Lax Maven or wh- whatever you, you know, wh- it depends on the time of day, I guess. Uh, you can find out more about him at crosscheck with an E dot com uh, in his sort of latest passion of lacrosse. Uh, he's a public historian, public sports historian, and uh, we know him for his uh, his longtime soccer stuff, but uh, lacrosse and, and frankly, lots of other uh, defunct uh, sports, too, as we've uh, found out over the uh, months and years. Uh, all three of those gents will be joining us for our little roundtable conversation of the year that was and perhaps maybe next year that will be uh, as we kind of, you know, circle around uh, what uh, transpired in the world of I guess, defunct or forgotten sports and stuff. And as I sort of hinted at, uh, timely as today's headlines, as we record this, uh, we're in the midst right now of uh, just a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, the, the uh, minor league baseball invitations have gone out from major league baseball. And at least uh, we think 40 teams uh, did not get the invite. Uh, and there's already battles and lawsuits and stuff going on and uh, trepidation, frankly. Do we take uh, the invite from uh, the major league team, if we, uh, for whatever reasons, uh, don't want to, do we risk kind of being boxed out in another team taking our place? All kinds of sh- <clears throat> shenanigans going on there. Um, the uh, Cleveland now baseball team, uh, well, they're still known as the Indians, but uh, not unlike our conversations uh, earlier this year around uh, the uh, the Washington football team and the a dropping of that name, uh, we hinted at during that that conversation that uh, the Indians might be next, and frankly, uh, a bunch of other teams with Native American uh, connotations of uh, of potentially racism or or misconstrued um, uh, nicknames and all that kind of stuff. And it looks like uh, Cleveland's baseball team will be the next to uh, perhaps right some wrongs, uh, and uh, that's literally uh, breaking as we record this. Um, and uh, two things literally today as we record this, uh, the merger, perhaps, and we get into this with our conversation this week, actually. Uh, and by the way, all these things we kind of hint at 
um, so timely uh, and maybe a little bit prescient, even though we recorded it uh, a week prior to to, uh, uh, to these uh, events. The uh, the merger already of the outdoor professional lacrosse circuits, known as the uh, as Premier League Lacrosse uh, and Major League Lacrosse. I, it's being sort of uh, couched, I guess, as as a merger, but it's really, I think, the MLL uh, kind of uh, folding, if you will, itself into the PLL or PLL, however you want to, to uh, refer to it. Uh, and uh, the tour uh, environment will indeed be sort of the uh, the lasting um, manner in which it goes to market. Uh, but there will be the inclusion of at least one of the teams, the Cannons, uh, in, from uh, MLL into uh, the uh, Premier League lacrosse setup. And uh, perhaps the, the biggest exclamation point, uh, the Negro Leagues have finally uh, long overdue, as we've had on many episodes, not only this year, but in, in previous years, been elevated, if you will, or formally acknowledged to be Major League by Major League Baseball. Uh, not a surprise, frankly, to anybody who's followed the Negro Leagues, but it's finally officially been blessed, if you will, not that it, it needed to be, uh, but it is now uh, an official uh, acknowledgement, the statistics and all that kind of stuff of the Negro Leagues, the Negro Major Leagues, uh, will now be uh, uh, considered from time and memoriam as being Major League, and all the stats will be uh, amalgamated and and just yet another sort of um, breaking of barriers, frankly, to uh, bring baseball to a harmonic, uh, inclusionary um, past, but also future. Uh, thank God. All of those things are timely, like I said, as today's headlines, but those are a whole bunch of things that we get into uh, in our conversation uh, and a whole lot more uh, with our pals Paul Reeths, Andy Crossley, and Steve Holroyd. Uh, a fun-filled year-end holiday spectacular, good conversations. As always, we always enjoy uh, putting this show together, and we appreciate you uh, listening. And a couple of uh, couple of uh, promotional things before we get underway Uh Perhaps you're listening to this prior to the Christmas holiday. Perhaps it's after uh, the Hanukkah holiday. Uh, perhaps it's in the midst of of either of those or after, or, you know, whatever reasons for whatever gift giving holiday excuses uh, that maybe you just didn't get the sports related gift that you were hoping for. Well, of course, uh, we want to remind you that our great sponsors are always there for you. Now, if you haven't gotten to GoodSeatsStillAvailable.com and clicked on uh, the many books uh, that uh, we have featured and the authors thereof, um, by all means, that's a convenient way. And you give us a couple of shekels of love when you go to Amazon through those links from those various episodes. So if you're going to buy a book from a previous episode, hey, that's the best way to do it, friends. Uh, and uh, we appreciate you doing that. But plenty of other great stuff out there from our sponsors. I'm just going to list them out. You know them. If you've listened to the show before, you know how great all of them are for various reasons. Uh, but check them all out and here's some promo codes, perhaps to get that gift uh, that uh, maybe uh, was not delivered to you uh, for whatever reasons. How about streakersports.com, the purveyors of sports culture? 15% off when you use the promo code GOODSEATS. Uh, Ebbets Field Flannels, ebbets.com, E-B-B-E-T-S. Promo code GOODSEATS10. Uh, to save 10% off all of your purchases there. OldSchoolShirts.com. Great stuff there, of course. Promo code GOODSEATS. 10% off all of your purchases there. How about our friends at 417 Helmets? That's collectible helmets and more. That's 417Helmets.com. 10% off when you use the promo code GOODSEATS there. 
uh, let's see, 503 Sports, the king of throwbacks. That's 503-sports.com. Promo code there is SEATS, and you're going to get 10% off all of your purchases. And of course, last but not least, sportshistorycollectibles.com. And the promo code there is good seats, and that's 15% off all of your purchases at that fine site as well. All of our great sponsors, we uh, bow humbly in their general directions. Our thanks for their sponsorship of this show during the course of this year, and frankly, some of them for multiple years, and hopefully uh, a convenient excuse for perhaps you to use some of that holiday cash that may have just fallen into your lap, or perhaps uh, to make up for the uh, the horrors of not getting uh, a gift from uh, from one of those great sites uh, for whatever reasons your friends or or uh, uh, your family members just just plain old forgot or just didn't get the message. Uh, enjoy all of those discounts courtesy of us and the best of uh, the holiday season to all of you and our great sponsors. Thanks uh, again to them for their patronage of our little show. And uh, we appreciate, of course, all of your listenership during the course of the year. And uh, let's get into now our second annual year-end holiday spectacular, our roundtable with Messrs. Holroyd, Crossley, and Reeds. Here we go. We're going to kind of round up 2020 and uh, kick it in the can, uh, and good riddance for that matter, and uh, sort of set up what we think is going to happen in hopefully a much better next year. Here's our conversation we had just last week. Please, as always, enjoy. Why don't we kind of just for our audience who may not have had the uh, the benefit of hearing our first annual uh, episode last year, our first annual holiday uh, roundtable, why don't uh, the three of you, um, and maybe we'll start with Andy, because arguably you're the oldest uh, of the uh, of the folks involved here, because you were on our second ever episode way back when, almost four years ago, if we can believe it or not. Um, maybe each describe your, let's call it your proverbial day jobs, and then uh, and or your um, uh, attachment to this little realm that uh, we sort of are connected by, uh, either as your night weekend or otherwise passion projects? Sure. First of all, I'd want to say I haven't received my three-timer jacket yet. And my understanding is that Steve may have his, so I think that needs to be rectified. I think um, there's, a rumor, there's a rumor somehow going around, and I think it may have been started by Steve, that there was actually a clothing line to be had. But um, maybe we're I'm getting ahead of our... We're getting ahead of ourselves five, in our fourth year, maybe. I'm a five-timer as of today, so they've. It, it's like that catch-22. They keep raising the mission level uh, before you get the jacket. So, All right. All right. But That's on the to-do list for next year for sure. Sorry, guys. <laughs> to your question, Tim, um, yeah, so I'm out, I'm out in Boston, Massachusetts, right in the shadows of Gillette Stadium, but I grew up in the city. I worked um, – I worked 10 years in minor league, well, professional baseball, independent baseball and, and professional soccer um, up until about 10 years ago. And actually 10 years ago, February, I started my website, funwhileitlasted.net, um, which chronicles defunct teams from every corner of the North American sports universe. Um and uh, I still work in sports in a manner of speaking, but now I work on the nonprofit side of sports and I, I'm a chief operating officer for a, a nonprofit organization that runs after school sports programs in the Boston public school system. And just to uh, underline and, and augment what you just said, uh, funwhilelasted.net uh, is uh, 
arguably uh, one of the reasons uh, we kind of uh, over the years try to figure out some way to kind of get involved into this genre, going the podcast route. Um, if you if you in audience land have never been to uh, the website, uh, Andy has it's a labor of love. It doesn't do it justice. It's it's essentially I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's almost like the Wikipedia, if you will, of all kinds of teams and leagues and, and various flavors of defunctness. Um, and it's, it's an amazing repository. As a matter of fact, uh, if you do searches, say, on, on Google and whatnot, uh, not only sometimes will you uh, see many different entries uh, sort of come up in the listings, but frankly, actually even supersede some of those offered by the supposedly mighty Wikipedia. Yeah, it started out kind of like as, a oral, as more like a place for me to write about my own experiences in these kind of far out leagues. Um, but as I got further away from it and had less of my own material because I didn't work in the industry anymore, it became more of a maybe more encyclopedic in nature for good, probably for good and for bad, um, and also more of like an oral history site where some other people who worked in the game or played in the games could share some of their stories. Instrumental and continues to be inspirational for sure. Uh, more on that as we... Uh, Steve and Paul have both helped a lot with the site as oh, well. That's, that's great. You know, well, Steve, yeah. Go ahead. I said no, knowingly or unknowingly, but Steve, Steve knowingly has helped out with a lot of stuff. Paul, probably more by inspiration, you know. All right. Well, Paul, since you're the second longest tenured here, uh, Steve's basically the rookie in this episode. Uh, why don't you uh, give us a little update on uh, your past, present, and uh, inklings of future stuff? For the last 20 years, I've uh, run OurSportsCentral.com, a site that I founded uh, that covers all minor league sports, uh, everything, all professional sports below, you know, the major league level, below the big four. Uh, I've also, in the last uh, five to seven years, have established a couple of statistics sites, including statscrew.com. And what I'm endeavoring to do with that is to uh, just develop more of a, a permanent history of the the players and coaches um, and everyone who's participated uh, in these leagues, uh, from the XFL to USFL, uh, minor league baseball, minor league hockey, uh, the old CBA, uh, trying to get as much of that material as possible, uh, just to kind of uh, make sure that the historical record isn't lost. Yeah, and and fair disclosure as well to our audience, uh, our Sports Central has been uh, yet another uh, log of, of contribution of uh, of intrigue and interest and uh, uh, impetus for our little sort of podcast exploration. Cause um, you know, and I'm sure Steve will uh, allude to this in a second as well. You know, when you uh, stick around, say a sport like, I don't know, indoor soccer, for example, as it, you know, peters out from being sort of a true, almost top tier indoor sport to very much on the periphery as it sort of goes into MIL, MISL two and MASL and all that stuff. Right. Um, it, it continues to be fascinating because outside of the, you know, big city metropolitan area sports spotlights uh, continue things like the indoor football league or, you know, uh, whatever those uh, leagues might be. And, um, and I think that's fascinating that uh, you're sort of aiming to kind of almost statistically and, and uh, uh, on the sort of math side of things, try to beef up perhaps what, you know, people like, uh, Andy and myself have been trying to do sort of with the oral history sort of uh, uh, qualitative sort of memory point of view. Yeah, you know, it's what's so fun is if you say something like tattoo, 
to a sports fan. You either think of uh, some design on somebody's arm, uh, you might think of Fantasy Island, an old TV show, or you might think of one of the greatest scores in indoor soccer history. Uh, the, just the memories that some of these guys, some of these teams have left uh, are worth, uh, worth preserving. Well, look, yet another kindred spirit uh, for sure. So uh, welcome again, Paul, to the proceedings. And last but certainly not least, uh, Steve, I, I, I try, to, try to remember some of the terms that we've sort of thrown your way uh, from your non-day job. Um, I think if I remember correctly in our last chat, we were talking uh, with you and, and Dave Coleman about um, uh, the National Lacrosse uh, uh, Association, or sorry, the National Lacrosse League, excuse me, the original one in the, in the 70s. Uh, public historian, was that sort of the label that we kind of settled on? Yes, that's, that's, uh, that's as soccer history has become, American soccer history, the people studying it have become increasingly more academic. Uh, I don't have a, enough initials at the end of my name, so I am now a public historian. Um, but I, I want to say I was so jealous last year when I heard the wrap-up episode of the show because it, it sounded like it was such a good time. And I want to thank you, um, Tim, for allowing me to come on this year and, and join Paul and Andy. Andy and I have been going back and forth on things for 10 years. Um, and, and Paul, I've only heard through, you know, the work he's done on the website, but I mean, it's, it's a real pleasure to be with, uh, with everybody, with everyone today. And yeah, public historian or no, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hope, hopefully we'll have a little fun. But the day job though, Steve, also somewhat important because we've, we've kind of gotten into that world sometimes too, on some on certain occasions. Yeah. My, my day job is as a labor attorney in Philadelphia representing unions and, Yes, uh, it's both historically uh, the uh, rights of workers and workers include athletes have popped up into our games. And it seems from time to time, even going forward, I mean, uh, there's always a labor dispute in the offing. Uh, it looks like baseball is always just a, a step away from having another meltdown. So, yeah, it, um, as opposed to being, say, a property lawyer, it comes in handy sometimes. Well, let's um, let's waste no time. And, uh, you know, the, the year 2020, as we record, this is still got a few more weeks of, I don't know, drama and surprises probably still left for us. But uh, as we record this the first week of December, um, maybe we could just start with sort of your general thoughts, uh, all three of you, uh, sort of uh, through your framing and through your, you know, longitudinal, I guess, um, understanding of sports like we sort of focus on here. Um, any themes that sort of pop up in your head sort of as all of this, uh, the COVID stuff and, and social unrest, the political uh, uh, consternation and, and, and division, all that stuff. Um, what are you sort of seeing in the, in the pro sports world now? And uh, do you see any themes or, I don't know, haunts, hauntings from, say, the past uh, as we've gone down our little uh, rabbit holes uh, that might be, repeating themselves or potentially subject to, um, I don't know, uh, poking holes in today's pro sports realm and maybe becoming fodder for future episodes down the road? I mean, I'll jump in first. I mean, I, the theme I've seen lately is, is one of a better way to describe it, is one of um, the, these pro sports leagues are desperate for content. Um, and I think it's been driven because of the fact they can't put butts in seats uh, the way they, they've come to expect. And so you see they're really um, striving towards uh, keeping fan interest in other ways. 
And and what I, I think ties into what we like to talk about is th- this wave of retro jerseys and alternate jerseys and, and revisiting the past, but not uh, like, like the reverse retro jerseys the NHL's put out. And it seemed, I mean, and part of it's kind of unseemly to me in that in a time when people may not have quite as much disposable income, uh, all these sports are trying to get you to buy stuff just so you can, I guess the theory is it'll keep me active in the game. Look, I'm rooting for my team because I'm wearing my reverse Quebec Nordique jersey here in Colorado. Um, but, uh, but, but at the same time, it looks like a cash grab. I can't, you, I can't get you to buy tickets and you're not, and I'm not, you know, the TV money may not be there. The advertising revenue may not be there. So I'm going to use the past to try to fund my future is what it seems to be a lot of these sports are doing, particularly basketball and hockey, I guess, because they're the ones who have their, what would be their normal seasons, uh, they're curtailed, curtailed right now. And I know basketball is going to start up again in a few weeks. I still haven't heard anything about what the NHL is planning on doing, but I've seen that sort of mining the past to generate uh, to income to replace other, other revenue streams. That's kind of the theme I've seen so far. And I'm going to expand off that maybe in a different direction and uh, that opportunism. Um, and I'm, I'm looking at Major League Baseball and the plans that they had for the minor leagues coming into the year anyway. And the fact that I think that they've just used the cover of the pandemic uh, to to do exactly what they wanted with the minor leagues. Uh, I think it's a little shameful. Um, I think that uh, the political pressure that had been on them uh, to, to maybe not uh, run their full plan uh, just dissipated uh, during the pandemic. And now they're just uh, kind of running roughshod over the minors. Yeah. I, I'm a, really aligned with what Steve, uh, I don't know how much time you want to devote to the minors. <laughs> oh, let's, let's do because it, it, it affects the future of the majors for sure too. I mean, that's probably the story that I've paid the most attention to all year. And, and a lot of it has been this sort of like dread because you knew it was coming, but it was taking forever to sort of unspool itself. And now it's finally happening. But um, I think the thing that has surprised me the most, actually just, so, so for people who aren't familiar, basically there was 160 minor league baseball teams, and there has been more or less that number for quite a while. And, um, you know, this move by the kind of like McKinseyite branch of Major League Baseball to, to contract that number um, down by about a quarter to about 120 and, 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 more, and make minor league baseball more regimental than it was, um, you know, has, has rolled out over the past couple months. And that's involved a few things. It's involved um, eliminating the independent office of minor league baseball in St. Petersburg, Florida, the National Association of Professional Baseball Leagues, which has been around for, I think, over a century, mm-hmm. and basically just folding all of minor league baseball into an office space in Manhattan inside Major League Baseball. It's involved the wholesale elimination or reclassification of leagues, um, such as the Pioneer League and the New York Penn League that have been around for 70, 80 years. Um, and, and it's involved some, some real uh, um, painful local level realignment of teams. So you take a, a community like Wichita, Kansas, 
um, had been without affiliated baseball since 2007 and put out, you know, by some account, $75 million in public money to attract AAA baseball. Um, that AAA baseball team was supposed to begin play uh, in 2019. Of course, none of minor league baseball played inning last year. And now Wichita has been unilaterally reclassified by Major League Baseball as a double-A market. So I don't think those city leaders thought they were putting out $75 million for double-A baseball, but that's what they're going to get. The thing that's been interesting to me is that I think there's a lot of predictions that both because of the um, contraction and because of the pandemic that a lot of teams would have folded by now, and really there's only been one. Um, The team folded on Thursday, which I believe is the first of the 160 minor league baseball teams to just flat out go out of business, which was the Staten Island Yankees. But it's a really interesting, you know, the Yankees situation is really interesting. They were the first team to sort of announce their entire lineup of um, four minor league affiliates. And that, I think that really raises the question, you know, when people think about an apocalypse, there's always the question of like, do you want to die in the apocalyptic event (laughs) or do you want to survive that event to be slowly picked off by famine, disease, and cannibals? And if you look at the Yankees farm system, you know, um, two of their longtime clubs, the Staten Island Yankees and the Trenton Thunder are probably two case studies of that. So Staten Island, went out of business Thursday. They had their, their you know, team yanked away from them by the Yankees um, and have now sued Major League Baseball for $20 million. Um, and then the Trenton team, very unexpectedly, was the Yankees' double-A club, um, had their affiliation yanked and given to a former independent league team in, in Somerset, New Jersey. So basically the Yankees moved – from an urban setting in New Jersey where they had been for, you know, something like 20 years um, to an independent club, which were formerly reviled by organized baseball, um, but that has a really nice stadium in a very wealthy suburban area. Um, and, and the Trenton Thunder, the former Yankees affiliate, have now become a collegiate team, which is an enormous drop in stature from AA baseball. Um, and only go, you know, goes from playing 140 games a year to 68 games a year. And, um, you know, it's hard to see much of a future for that team, to be honest with you. Like they may muddle along for a couple of years, but I would say the future is bleak for all of these teams that have been reclassified as collegiate baseball league teams. Um, and, and the Trenton owners have really, have really lashed out on more of like a class warfare type of basis. Like, look, you know, you're, this is, we know what you're doing. Like you're taking a team from a hard scrabble urban area and you're giving it to a wealthy suburban area in the same state. So, you know, and they've really called the Yankees out for that. So, uh, you know, it's the, the team, I, I don't think we've seen the sort of wholesale um, vanishing of teams yet that was predicted, but it may be that that's going to just unfold over the course of the next two or three years as people find out that, um, they can't make a go of it with, with high uh, college freshmen, sophomores, you know, playing in their stadiums. And, and I think when people think of wooden bat league baseball, collegiate baseball, they think of the Cape Cod League, where all these future Hall of Famers have played here in my state in Massachusetts. 
but you know, one thing I haven't seen written about is, you know, you can get the best players in the country from Stanford and Oklahoma and Texas to come spend the summer on the beach in Chatham, Massachusetts on the Cape. Can you get them to go to um, Bluefield, West Virginia? Does that really want to spend their summer? Nothing against Bluefield, West Virginia. I haven't been there, but it's not quite the same destination that the Cape Cod League is. So, well, I, I want to I want to go back to something that Paul said because I, I think this also sort of brought more broadly frames it too, right? It's not just a, a minor league slash major league baseball issue too, right? It, and that's you know uh, the pandemic and uh, not so insignificant other things, but certainly maybe led by that uh, has become either the excuse or the uh, further catalyst or exacerbating factor in perhaps something that was maybe either already underway, albeit at a slower pace, uh, or, you know, some other mechanism or, or economic uh, uh, desire, you know, it's become uh, a, a convenient or, frankly, just necessary answer or uh, uh, response to lots of different folks. I mean, I, the XFL, I, let's let's talk about that for a second, right? Um, I think this time last year, uh, uh, the two of you, at least, were you and I were talking about uh, sort of the ashes of the uh, association, sorry, the Alliance of American Football that uh, had petered out in, in early uh, 2019. And we were kind of waxing, uh, prognosticating uh, around, you know, what the XFL would do in its sort of second co- uh, version. I don't think we were all too sanguine about its success, but I think none of us obviously foresaw how it uh, uh, took its uh, sort of abrupt pause, shall we say. And, and frankly, supposedly is going to live on again uh, year after next, um, uh, let's talk about the XFL. What, what are you? What are your thoughts about that? Because here it is, yet another pro league, football wise, uh, that met an untimely uh, death uh, very early in its uh, in its uh, new life. And Tim, I I like the way that you you frame that. In that, uh, none of us are who have watched these leagues for very long would be foolish enough to predict success for an alternative pro football league. Uh, they have. Uh, pretty short shelf lives and historically have that uh, have had that the the xfl though here you had an operator who had done it before uh so none of the the big pieces of the business pie were going to really take him by surprise uh you had that same operator who had set aside literally hundreds of millions of dollars uh to fund the operation uh so while success was a long way off seeing the league go through two or three seasons certainly was not out of the question this time around until a pandemic hit. The, the COVID caused the XFL to cancel the last half of its season, which means all the exposure that the league had banked on uh, was cut in half, but their expenses weren't. Uh, they, they still had nearly the same amount of expenses uh, over that uh, period of time. In addition, though, I think what Vince McMahon saw was that his his goose that laid the golden egg uh, wrestling uh, was also affected. So he did. He no longer had what probably has seemed for much of his adult life like an unlimited supply of income uh, suddenly in danger as well. Uh, so then you had a, a, a sudden bankruptcy, uh, the purchase out of that bankruptcy uh, by The Rock and a consortium. Uh, 
we'll see if they have the the resources to launch this thing. But yeah, the, the XFL, uh, when you're looking at victims of COVID, <laughs> sports victims over this last year, as uh, you know, in the in the way of businesses, the XFL is near the top of that list. Well, look, I thought the product was actually pretty good, surprisingly. And I think obviously a lot of people were trying to juxtapose that against what the original version looked like. But uh, and maybe the other two guys could chime in here. I mean, I, 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 I you know, n- no doubt nobody saw uh, the, the, how the pandemic was sort of going to grip pro sports and all that stuff. And and nobody's frankly surprised that that uh, that uh, a fledgling uh, uh, enterprise such as this would you know want to take a pause. But I think a lot of people, even those who are even pessimistic about its success without sort of those uh, existential threats from the outside unanticipated, were kind of surprised, frankly, at how not only abruptly it, it literally shut down, but the whole bankruptcy and the, uh, the other uh, curious ways in which various personnel and or other folks, uh, you know, were kind of tossed out and uh, the, the plug pulled so violently, I guess. I think it only feels that way because of the particular date when it happened. Like, like they were kind of first to do it. But I think if, if they had tried to keep going, they would have been done in three or four weeks anyway. You know what I mean? Um, the just events were moving so quickly at that period of time that, I don't know, maybe you give Vince McMahon credit for getting out in front of the inevitable. Um, you know, but, but basically at a time when Major League Baseball was – trying to figure out how they were going to play and, and NBA and NHL were trying to figure out how they could make postseasons happen. They were in the middle of their, of, of their season and heading towards an end and they pulled a plug um, and they didn't have the sort of legacy success or obligations of those other organizations. So like in hindsight, it kind of makes sense at the time it felt, it felt like, wow, that was quick. Um, but, but I, I guess my point is I think it would have been out of their hands anyway, only a few weeks after that, they would have been shut down. Um, I, I don't know. It's sort of, it's hard to know what to make of the XFL and, and to, and uh, to handicap whether they'll ever play another game, no matter what their new investors are saying. Sort of like, um, I don't know if do you remember 20 years ago, Mariah Carey made a movie called Glitter. <laughs> And she tried mm. to become a movie star. Um, and it came out, it was due to be released the week of September 11th, 2001. Um, and that movie bombed. Did that movie bomb because it came out on September 11th? Or did that movie bomb because that was a bad movie and nobody wanted to see Mariah Carey become a movie star? That, that's kind of how I look at this XFL. Like it's hard to, it's really hard to know what to <laughs> what to make of it. And it, it did get some good aesthetic reviews, but so did the Alliance of American football the year before, you know, people say, Oh, the product's good, but that's not really enough. Like, um, I, I don't know. It, it, well, look, and, and obviously it's, it doesn't have sort of, I mean, arguably it should have had some, you'd think it had an Oliver Luck probably would uh, probably debate otherwise or in terms of resources and, and the, uh, clever, I guess, tactics that, uh, uh, that McMahon sort of took to kind of wind down the enterprise and sort of uh, make it a, and there are lots of legalities involved in all that. But I mean, you know, Steve, I'm going to drag you into this too. I mean, you know, obviously leagues that don't necessarily have the financial 
uh, firepower or staying power or history, right? Like a National Lacrosse League, right? Just had to kind of stop in their tracks. Um, but but I would argue, like like a case with the NLL or um, even to some extent, uh, other sort of, shall we say, less mature leagues, it, it can be very existential very quickly, right? About uh, the what could happen, especially as something like a pandemic plays out over a longer period of time. No, I think you're right. And, and, and it presents... And I, I think Andy's on to something, too, in that with these weaker leagues, and I wouldn't necessarily put the NLL in that category, but some of these newer leagues, wasn't an opportunity to be exploited almost. I mean, like Andy was saying, whether because of the pandemic or otherwise, one wonders just how viable the XFL was. I mean, was it, was it already overspending like the, like the, uh, the, the American Alliance League had? And was McMahon being smart and saying, okay, we're bleeding money. Let's take the opportunity to shut down now, but at least we don't look like a failure. We can blame it on the pandemic and maybe regroup and come back later. Or was it a situation where, no, no, we're doing fine, but this is what we have to do, which is like what the NLL had to deal with. So, you know, they, uh, their, their entire revenue stream, other than Bleacher uh, BR Live subscriptions, I guess, was ticket sales. So as opposed to some other sports who can rely on merchandising, who can rely on TV deals. I mean, NLL really is a cash business in a sense. So it was no surprise when they bailed pretty early because they said, look, we, there's no point in trying to go on and have people afraid to come to games. And then we're only selling 5,000 tickets instead of 10. So, and I think all these startup slash um, uh, non big four sports, that was something they had to confront. And, 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 and I, I, for better or for worse, I think ultimately, and this also goes, I think, to both Paul and Andy's point, in the end, the pandemic just took the decision out of, out of everybody's hands. Like, this is what's going to happen. And what you do with the break, it may wind up making or breaking you, but that's, that's going to be your problem. Well, look, we did see some innovation, right? I mean, uh, world team tennis, right? Uh, obviously, I want to say a shell of its former self, but certainly, you know, it's, it's, uh, and we've, luckily we actually got a chance to explore a little bit of it uh, and a few more episodes, by the way, to come in the, in the weeks ahead. Uh, wink, wink, nod, nod. Um, uh, but they were one of the first ones, I think, if not the, even if not the first one to kind of uh, go down sort of a lockdown bubble kind of route. Uh, MLS was uh, arguably early in the, in the, in the mix as was the uh, national women's soccer league. Um uh, in terms of their return and stuff. So from your perspectives, guys, who, who do you, um, you know, uh, as you saw sort of these various leagues uh, and sports try to figure out ways to come back in some way, shape or form, are there any that you kind of thought like did it right or, or did or are doing it wrong or, um, you know, what were your sort of opinions as not only the various sports shut down, but has they sort of all tried to figure out various ways back to life over the spring and summer? The one that I guess caught my attention the most was uh, United Soccer League um, that because they were playing largely in their local markets, they, they didn't do the bubble thing. Um, Major League Soccer started off with a bubble and, uh, and then went back to local markets. But just to see how they were able to pull off their seasons. And I'm talking again about uh, United soccer league championship and, and USL one that they were able to largely pull off a great chunk of their season 
but then at the very tail end, it, it, it looked like uh, kind of this resurgence of the virus uh, really started to complicate things to the point where, where both uh, USL Championship and USL 1's uh, finals were called off. They couldn't even stage their, champ- their uh, championship games. Um, I think that the, uh, the bubbles are interesting. Um, the bubbles have got to be really expensive. Uh, you know, obviously not an option uh, for leagues like uh, the NLL to, to suddenly jump into something like that to try to complete a season. Uh, but to me, that, that's what made the USL's approach interesting is that, is that they didn't start there. They didn't start with the, the world team tennis like bubble in West Virginia or start with the MLS's back tournament down in Florida. Uh, they, they actually were playing in local markets. I mean, the NBA seemed to do a great job um, in terms of like their risk management and operationally. Um, my only, you know, and I'm not a big basketball guy, I guess my, but, but at that point, you know, you're looking to consume any sports you can get. And my, I guess my only gripe with the, and the NBA who seemed to do so many things right was just that those games didn't look like NBA games on TV. Um, they just, they, they looked fundamentally different to me. Um, like, like scrimmages are even a different sport. Just, you know, the amount which you could see those arenas in Disney world or wherever they were just didn't look like the NBA. Whereas conversely, like the NFL has had many many more operational disruptions and canceled, you know, games being postponed. But I do feel like the NFL's TV product looks like the NFL. Um, and as a, just as a fan, that's really important. Um, and in terms of the leagues that we tend to spend more time on that have far fewer resources to execute these kind of things, I thought the National Women's Soccer League did a really good job. You know, they were kind of the first back, and they didn't really get enough credit for it. Um, you know, but the first back to play, and other than one hiccup where they had a, an entire team eliminated in sort of questionable circumstances from playing in this tournament, that they did a nice job with it, and it looked good on TV, and their players seemed happy with it, and, and their broadcast partners seemed happy with it. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's what you're grading on. If you're, if you're grading on who kept – who had the fewest amount of illnesses – I mean, I suppose the bubble approach was the most successful, and the NBA did a tremendous job uh, after a few hiccups with players pulling out for food and going to curbside to pick it up. Um, they, they, they managed to keep the bubble system going, and the NHL did as well. Uh, you know, now the NHL had the advantage of uh, doing a lot of it in Canada, who had uh, better protocols and a little better compliance with the protocols uh, as a country that we have here in the United States. But, um, that, of course, that's the advantage of a bubble. So, uh, so fine, you give them an A for not getting anyone sick, but then you go to Andy's point, and it was a good one. Okay, that's fine, but to the extent you're trying to give a product to the fans, where, where do you stand? And, and both hockey and basketball suffered from the, uh, the, the crowd presence. And I do think MLS did a better job kind of on both ends, both with the startup being in a bubble and even when they hit the road um, with, uh, even if it was artificial, I mean, the, the, the use, I didn't mind the use of the crowd noise because usually the cameras were tight enough that you weren't seeing the crowds anyway. And, and the, and the CGI uh, uh, drapes, you know, TIFO, I guess 
to cover the empty seats. Sometimes it was annoying that a, a ball lofted in the air would get lost in, in, the, in, the, in the blue screen or whatever. But at least it looked like you were watching an actual event. Uh, football, as Andy pointed out, has done a nice job. I think baseball failed on both ends. I think baseball, the, the atmosphere was non-existent until the very end when they finally did the, uh, the World Series. Uh, you know, they sort of did a pseudo-bubble for the championship and World Series, and they allowed people in the stands again. But, I mean, as we've seen, I mean, both the look of people on the field wearing masks, you know, you, you have, you know a shortstop wearing the mask because uh, he didn't want to get sick. And then, and of course, the disaster at the end when, oh, we're pulling you out of the game in the sixth inning as you just you, you tested positive, but go ahead, go back out and celebrate. And I appreciate it. It was a World Series win. But just across the board, I think uh, baseball just did itself no favors and and – uh, which is in the bigger picture. I mean, both Paul and Andy were talking about the minor leagues. I think Major League Baseball going forward is is is, is got a long, um, a hard road ahead of it because I think of the big four, uh, it, it's it's the one sport that's really losing uh, an entire generation. Um, and and I don't think the way it handled this pandemic is necessarily going to help. Yeah, so, some bad looks, right? And obviously, you know that 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 that, that has impact, right? Because there are young and impressionable kids or, or, or even adults, frankly, who are watching and just, you know, seeing no masks either in the stands or they're starting to count how many seats there are. Uh, you know, it, it, it sends very, at the very least, mixed signals, right, as to what's proper and what I can or should be doing. Uh, but I want to talk, touch on one other thing there, Steve, that you kind of brought up, and that's the, uh, uh, let's call it artificiality of some of these broadcasts. And I think it's most pronounced in, in leagues or has been in uh, where uh, leagues that share uh, broadcast partners, right? And I'll take I'll take MLS soccer for example as as a uh, while there are some centralized uh, CGI and uh, uh, the virtual ad insertion stuff, and to me, sort of uh, playing a television and, and uh, media tech executive by day, uh, I get very distracted by or find myself actually staring more at is that a real or not a real tarp, uh, and then looking for the the, the you know the camera. Uh, shots to sort of identify and, and make sure that they figure out whether it is or it isn't. Um, that's distracting, at least for somebody like me, but that's, you know, that's just me. Um, but, you know, an ESPN's kind of presentation of it sort of au naturel with, with lots of, you know, sounds like a big scrimmage versus the Fox Sports 1 presentations, right, where, you know, you hear the sounds and then they're pumping in stuff and, and some of the, the fans, like, say, for Major League Baseball and stuff, I don't know. I feel like I'm being um, manipulated, so to speak. And but I don't know. I mean, you know, with gaming being a thing, and I'm obviously a generation outside of all that. Um, I don't know. How, how do you all feel about sort of the question? in there is the presentation of of games and matches that um, you know now are are you know if, if it was subtle in the beginning, is certainly much more uh, uh, obvious now and and do you feel manipulated do you feel like it's a, a bastardization of the presentation of the game or do you think that's just modern consumption behaviors now that young audiences like to play lots of video games and maybe expect some of that stuff i, I don't know from my end because because uh german soccer you know, some of the european soccer came back first and i was watching that and they were in and, and they were the first to try with the crowd noise and at first like you, Tim, I was like, wait, what's real? What's fake? What's a real TIFO? What's not? But after a while, and maybe, it, it, you know, in my case, why well, I didn't play all those games. I had kids who did, 
uh, and I'd play with them from time to time, all the great EA experiences. So it, it became, I forgot it was there, you know, it, it, to where sometimes I'd have to be reminded goalkeeper would make a great save and you, and you hear the crowd appreciate it. And I had to, and I'd it'd be like another five minutes before I realized, wait a minute, there's no crowd there. Someone had to, some Foley guy had to push the button and make that noise. So now while at first it did seem really awkward, I think, in the end, I, I was of the of mind that, you know, I appreciate the effort. I appreciate trying to bring some semblance of normalcy. And I think it was most, and it particularly important in soccer because, especially in this country, I think the reason why American soccer has finally got a foothold uh, as opposed to all the other leagues that have come and gone. Um, and, I, and I have them on top of my mind is uh, Paul and I have been uh, working on ASL2 stuff and, and old goalkeepers, and you just realize there's so much out there, so many defunct leagues. But anyway, I think one reason why it's, it, it's, it's taken off is because of that fan culture, you know, the supporters' culture, the noise, the chance. So I think at least in soccer's case, bringing that stuff in really did add to the experience. Now, would I have felt the same way if there was just some artificial – uh, peanuts popcorn guy being inserted into baseball broadcast, maybe then I'd feel a little more pandered to. But overall, I thought the, the, the approach was pretty successful. And like when it comes to crowd noise, I think that's a lot easier to, to overlook or to just expect uh, at certain points, uh, particularly in football. I think the NFL broadcasts have done a pretty good job with that. Uh, and I agree too that uh, the soccer broadcasts have, uh, and it depends on how far you go. When you look at the Canadian Premier League, they staged their games in a fake stadium. It was a completely virtual stadium, uh, so which I found this distracting. Uh, you know, I I did watch a little bit of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and um, while I didn't think it was bad, uh, I I did get a little distracted every time you could see any of the the would be stands. And I'm, I kind of side with Andy where I, I just couldn't watch what the NBA put out there. It, a, a lot of it just depended on how far they took that. To me, the crowd noise, uh, and I'm an older guy, so to me the crowd noise was fine. When, when you got to tinkering too much with the visual product in the way of virtual stadiums or, or things that would ripple unexpectedly in the stands, that to me is a little bit distracting you know in a weird way i think this goes back to your xfl question tim which is like was there anything that they did that was successful and one of the things that they were getting a lot of well not a lot they got some buzz for that i think at the beginning of the pandemic people said oh maybe this will help all of these content providers that are looking for a way to make these games interesting with no fans was this notion of like um super access to the players, you know, really aggressive use of miking up players and coaches during games. And XFL, like, really wore that on their sleeve pre-pandemic. is like this is going to be one of the things that differentiates us. And um, I think there was, like, one interview that got some attention, which was there's an ex-Oakland Raiders quarterback in the league named Matt McGloin who got yanked out of the game. And, and he basically, like, I think ripped his offensive coordinator or his head coach on the game broadcast. Um, and, you know, I, I think there was some expectation that maybe some of the ba- the major leagues would compensate for 
the things that were lacking by giving us more of that kind of access in broadcasts, but they didn't. Um, at, at the end of the day, they're still pretty conservative operations. So I think one of the questions becomes, you know, do you give the XFL credit for something like that if no one ever really adopts it? Um, you know, obviously you got like the ABA back in the 70s introduced the three-point line, which made it into the NBA and is now set score to the strategy of the game. So that's one of the things that make – one of the many things that makes a league like the ABA legend. You know, the XFL can have good ideas, but if they never influence anything, then they're not really that great. Um, and and it to me, it brings up the question of like, you know, are these athletes interested? <laughs> are there enough athletes that are interesting enough that we need to hear that much more from them during the games? So if there's a lot of hope solos out there, then it could be really interesting. But if there's a lot of guys who are going to be mic'd up and they're just going to say the same things during a game that they say in a post-game press conference, nobody needs to hear any of that. Um, but, but I do remember in the spring, I think there was an expectation that we were going to get a lot of that, and we haven't gotten any of that. Yeah, we will. We will see, and I will uh, put my uh, my professional hat on for a second. We're going to see a lot more, uh, especially with the advent of, of uh, legalized gambling, uh, a lot more uh, what I used to call interactive television, but now video sort of interactivity uh, sort of come into game presentation, whether it's on the big screen or certainly on uh, devices. Um, and I think we're going to see uh, this time next year. Uh, well, let's let's put a pin on that and talk about sort of how broadcasts evolve over the next year or so, because I think you're going to see a lot more uh, for better or for worse, that lean in uh, activity where consumers can uh, change their sound uh, based on the calls that they'd like to hear or lean in and make a bet with a button push overlaid on their screen, those kinds of things. And, you know, if you think you potentially might hate <laughs> virtually created uh, imagery on your screen now, just wait, you may hate a lot more uh, when given the button to push to see what all the other things can do to further uh, complicate or maybe make more interesting uh, the gameplay. Um, we shall see. All right, what's this? NordVPN. Fantastic. Uh, friends, you know, uh, the uh, the world of the Internet gets uh, crazier and uh, and less secure by the day, it seems. And privacy is a huge issue uh, when you're traveling, uh, perhaps even using Wi-Fi. Right. You never quite really feel comfortable in knowing that, you know, your uh, your Internet c connection is secure, uh, that you're not being tracked, uh, that your data, frankly, is not being uh, accessed and uh, uh, unwittingly uh, pilfered and used for other uh other purposes that uh, you don't want it to be used for. And that's where virtual pri private networks, he says, comes in very handy. And the best out there of late uh, is our friends at NordVPN. It's N-O-R-D V-P-N. Let's say you want to, let's you're traveling and um, you want to access uh, a streaming service when you're uh, in another country. Uh, this is a great uh, way, a virtual private network, to to access those, uh, those services without sort of being uh, bumped out because... Uh, your computer device thinks that uh, you're living in another country. If you use Wi-Fi, public Wi-Fi at that, on a regular basis, you know how dicey that proposition can be. It's convenient, sure, but when you're sitting in a, a lobby of a hotel or a Starbucks, you know, uh, you think it's secure, but uh, are you really sure? Encrypting your data, very important when you're sending a, a, an important file, let's say a tax form to your accountant. Um, 
And uh, file sharing. Uh, you've got a, a project that uh, you're trying to share with your team. Uh, and, uh, you know, even in a Slack environment or whatever, those things can get uh, easily uh, sidetracked and or uh, intercepted without the benefits of a virtual private network. And again, NordVPN is the best that I found out there. And I can't uh, tell you how not only important a VPN is, but how probably the best that I've seen uh, to date is our friends at NordVPN. And of course, I wouldn't be telling you about all this unless we had a special offer for it. Of course we do. Uh, it's a special holiday deal for every purchase of a two-year plan, and it's relatively uh, well-priced. I, I think you'll find it uh, itself a good deal. You'll get four additional months for free when you go to nordvpn.com slash goodseats. That's Nord, N-O-R-D, V as in Victor, P-N.com, nordvpn.com slash goodseats. And don't forget to use the coupon code goodseats at checkout. And again, you're going to get four additional months for free when you purchase a two-year plan. NordVPN, it's the best that I found out there in the worlds of virtual private networks. Check them out, NordVPN. Thank you for your support of the show. And now back to said show. things I really want to get into, both from the National Football League, uh, were two new iterations of of teams this year. Um, one of which, let's start with the Raiders. Um, their first, uh, obviously, uh, undermined uh, on a lot of different levels, year in their brand spanking new and apparently now uh, still uh, challenged financially. I think they're uh, talking about having to go into some emergency funds to pay off uh, the first or second uh, uh, monthly uh, payment for their for the debt uh, raised for it. But um, the Las Vegas Raiders, um, has that sort of, uh, I don't know, does that feel like a comfortable term? Do you find yourself selves still say, saying Oakland? Um, I know it's maybe not a fair question given the, uh, the, the way in which they became Las Vegas, but what do you think their success is and, and um, going forward? And is Las Vegas, you know, going to be a real good NFL market and all that kind of stuff? Or, do you think this is sort of the beginning of the end of, of how franchises in the NFL should be re- relocated? I mean, I'll, I'll jump in. I hate it. Uh, I'm, I'm just a traditionalist. I know they weren't getting any, gaining any ground uh, on a stadium in Oakland. Uh, but I, it always is galling to see teams with such uh, a great history in a location. And yeah, they had, they had taken off for Los Angeles at one point. Um, but they had such rabid fans. And, you know, when you talk about Raiders fans, you can see the guys with the, the shoulder pads with the spikes and the, the face paint, uh, like they're a missing member of Kiss. Uh, you know, it, it does take some getting used to. Uh, the, the building itself looks beautiful. But, um, yeah, I, I'd like to see them. Uh, I would have rather seen them stick around in Oakland. You think their history gets denigrated, guys, by by this, or is just this is just progress, and we're just old men, you know, yelling at the clouds? Well, anytime you move, I think you're not doing yourselves any favors. And I was just sitting here thinking about the Cleveland, then Los Angeles, then St. Louis, then Los Angeles Rams. I mean, it just it's. I do think at some point, um, because of civic pride and things like that, you do hurt your franchise's history when you move to a different city because, you know, St. Louis didn't feel any great connection to those great L.A. teams of the 70s. 
L.A. fans probably felt no connection to the Cleveland teams of the 40s. And, yeah, it still had the Rams brand, but um, it, you know, in many ways it, it felt like a new team. I mean, it, it, it's a little before my time, but, for instance, here in Philadelphia, the Syracuse Nationals were a storied NBA team. Its owner invented the 24-second clock that saved the pro game. And then he came here, and then really no one talks about Dolph Shays or 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 any of those guys. I mean, it's, it, it became kind of a new team, and it hurts the franchise history. So, yeah, even if you keep the same nickname, I, I do think just bouncing back and forth doesn't do you, do you any favors. And and the thing is, too, I mean, you could talk about, again, going to basketball. Rochester Royals, Cincinnati Royals, Kansas City Kings, Sacramento Kings, none of them were all that iconic. But when you're talking about the Oakland Raiders, I mean, that was the very face of 70s football, late 60s AFL 70s NFL football, and, to, and the, to see them get yanked around like that, and of course voluntarily. I mean, it's the owners always trying to get a better deal for themselves. Yeah, yeah I, I think does a real disservice to the legacy of the team. Andy, what do you think? And then I'm also going to lay on, uh, maybe you can be the first one to say about uh, talk about the uh, newly interim named Washington Football Club, right, which is a whole other dynamic, uh, maybe writing some longtime wrongs uh, as uh, people become more socially conscious and responsible, uh, still controversial though in certain circles, given especially its long-term history. Um, what are your uh, thoughts, not only about the Raiders but uh, Washington, both past and whatever you think it might become in the future as a brand name? Well, I don't like the Raiders' move, but I guess to be a little contrarian, just so it's not a complete consensus. Like, if you're going to move, Las Vegas feels like appropriate destination for the Raiders versus like, you know, the Birmingham Raiders, <laughs> the Memphis Raiders. Um, would, Don't forget would, San Antonio. Yeah. I mean, like they've always been big and outlandish and Vegas is big and outlandish. So I guess if they're going to have a new home, it feels like the right place to me. Um, my question would be like, is anybody going to live in Las Vegas 30 or 40 years from now? Is it going to be a habitable habitable part of the world um i don't know uh you know they should um, all be able to fit in that new stadium though <laughs> um you know the washington thing is um interesting i don't know i've got um i've got an eight-year-old daughter who loves watching football and a five-year-old son and i've never been super interested in the washington team in my whole life um, I've always thought they were one of the dollar NFL franchises, despite their success in various decades and their Super Bowls. Um, but it's inter- it's just interesting. Like they're they're both very young, and and the, the, this legacy of what that name implies, and you know, they're not in those political debates. But the two of them, without really much prompting from me or or my wife, they have. Ref- hate Washington, hate them. Um, And they, they, with their sort of limited historical athletic and political lens, they view the Washington team as an outlier of, of hatred and disrespect of people. And if the, if, if Washington is playing, first of all, they refuse to ever use the name of the team before they became Washington football club. And no matter who they're playing, they react with like audible disgust 
if it, like if they find out that they're on if they're the TV game, they're like, oh, when that, and whoever they play may hope that the other team just absolutely destroys them. Um, and and they and my daughter can name every NFL quarterback, um, but but she doesn't she doesn't really know anything about the team other than that she just absolutely hates them in the way that you would hate like the villain of a Marvel movie. Like that you just know that they are bad. Um, and so it's interesting to see that through the, uh, the lens of a kid and how kids look at that without any of the sort of like, I don't know. It's just as much like for them to just look at it as a very like black and like sort of black and white, like good versus evil issue. They're just like that franchise is clearly evil. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, that's interesting for two reasons. Number one, certainly it's it speaks to generational uh, differences as well as, frankly, uh, how we as society evolve and, uh, uh, and embrace uh, change over time or how cer- certain uh, facets of our society don't embrace it. And, and um, yeah, and it's just it's, 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 it's evolving, right? We evolve as, as people and we, you know, it's not unlike, say, the Negro Leagues back in the day, right? Separate but equal. I mean, all these things are, you know, and... and uh, sadly, we still have issues that we still have to face going forward. But I, you know, to me, I, it, it's clearly uh, a a an overdue move in the right direction. But the other part of, it, of course, is uh, more cynically, I think uh, there there are plenty of Washington football team fans uh, who would uh, probably agree with her even before this name change because of the ownership of Daniel Snyder and friends. But anyway, I digress. Um, Strangely, they still actually mimic the playoffs in this crazy of all years. But um, uh, you guys, uh, you other guys have uh, any thoughts about sort of perhaps uh, not only the interim name change uh, and its appropriateness, but what do you think it becomes? And and maybe more interestingly, what do you what happens to that history, given its previous name and all the imagery around it? Uh, I, that's harder to whitewash, right, so to speak, or, or at least upgrade or update. Yeah, all all the NFL films uh, that have been done. Uh, do you go back and redub that? You can't. Uh, you can't exactly get John Facenda to hop in for that job. So yeah, yet uh, you know, just it's, it's. I guess it's uh, a conundrum, right? It's just this is it just is. I don't know if there's an answer for it, but you know, what do you do? It's been a team that's been around for fifty years under that name, right? Right, and you. I mean, you see, like Disney Plus, they'll put a little um, a little tag that's you know something in this program when it was made uh not as sensitive as as we are now um do you do that to all of the redskins material um i don't know oh and i said the r word sorry about that but it is a conundrum i mean and we're seeing it and, and and paul just sort of touched on it you're seeing it in the arts too i mean and you use the word evolved tim and it's true as we become more aware and uh of uh, and more sensitive to certain depictions and things like that. Uh, clearly, you have to fix it. But how do you how do you handle the fact that you know for the previous fifty, sixty, seventy years, this is what you had? I mean, wh- are you are you really going to go and edit out the offensive parts of Gone with the Wind and, and mess with 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 his, with what is otherwise a masterpiece? I mean, I mean, the, the Washington team had the name it had, and it's got a storied history. I mean, clearly, you're not going to dub the name out. You're not going. You, you know, God forbid, you CGI the logo away. Um, I mean, but so I think you just have look. We've grown. I mean, in the, in the case of the Washington name, it's a disgrace that it took this long. 
but at least you know give, give credit for they, they we figured it out we got it wrong we move forward but the history of the team uh, is, is this you know um I, the, the problem becomes i'll just just throw it out there for consideration i'm not here to be contrarian but it's 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 low hanging fruit to complain about the washington team nickname um, notwithstanding some people's attempt to justify it. Oh, it was a term of pride. No. Okay. But you know, it, it, at what point do you, then, then you go to the next step. Okay. Well, what about Cleveland Indians, Atlanta Braves, not neutral names. I mean, Braves is almost noble, although that's kind of a charged term. Um, but is it still wrong to, to make a mascot out of people? Okay. You're going to change that. But then, some of these college teams, I mean, the fighting Irish. And I know the Irish experience was infinitely different from the Native American experience, which plays a lot into it. But, you know, you, you go down the road, it does become a slippery slope. Like I, I joke, because we all know that's not what the team name meant, but you have a, a basketball team, Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks, a team made up primarily of young black men. That's That term means something in certain arenas. Now, Clearly, it was always meant to refer to the male deer, but at what point does someone decide to get offended? And then, and, and whether right or wrong, then you go back to the history thing. What do we do as historians, sports historians? We're not talking about something as clearly offensive as, say, statues, okay? But we're just talking about a great player. Sammy Ball was a great quarterback with the Washington. We don't know what to call them now. I mean, that, that gets – it, it, it's it's going to be difficult, and it's something that we're going to be wrestling with, I think, going forward. Yeah, I, no, I think it's, that's it puts a big finer point on it. We frankly, we do a whole college course specifically on on this general issue, right? But I, I would say too that, and maybe you kind of said this in not so many words, um, it's not you know necessarily just the the nickname or the appellation, but the um, the narrative, right? And I think, um, and we've explored in a couple of different episodes. I mean, there are certain teams and certain leagues, uh, both on the collegiate level. Uh, for example, Florida State uh, apparently has a, uh, a pretty well-regarded approach to their name, the Seminoles. Uh, and they've done a, a lot of work, uh, some of it preemptively, I think, or in, t- in sort of understanding things a little bit ahead of time. Uh, how to just frame the name and, under- and explain the origins, uh, what it's meant by, uh, what it could be confused with, and obviously distancing itself from whatever that confusion could could be or be perceived. I, you know, I frankly, I think a lot of pro sports or even on the collegiate level have just not done or had to do that kind of extra work, so to speak, to kind of explain the origins and and the rationale for such if it is deemed to be questionable or. Uh, or offensive to some. So, I, you know, maybe this is just another sort of sub-area sub, uh, sub area of expertise when coming up with a name and a logo and, uh, and, and color schemes for one's uniforms. It may be literally what's the, you know, what's the background and history book uh, for the logo and choosing the name? I, you know, a more frivolous example, perhaps, but, but from a design and execution perspective, maybe a model is how Seattle his uh, new uh, NHL franchise, the Kraken, which strangely has also taken on some politically charged overtones, but I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> I promised I wouldn't start on that, especially with what's going on in Georgia this, as we record this today. But I, I just, you know, I, um, there's, it's, there's like, it's like a template, right? It's like, here's how we thought. Here's, here's why this color is in the logo. I mean, are, seemingly overkill, but 
there will be no mistake if Kraken, for whatever reason, becomes somehow an offensive word because it'll have been documented from the very beginning. But Tim, like these, these like technical questions of how logos get made are sort of like what aboutism of like, oh, well, what if in the future this happens? Like, I think, I don't know. I think they, there's an importance in how decisions are made. Like the context of what's happening with the Washington team is important because there's a lot of different ways that change can happen. And what would have, <laughs> the, the two best case scenarios for a Washington franchise was, was one, and I think probably all fans of the team, regardless of where they fall in the team name, would agree that this would have been the best, would be that a new owner would have taken over. <laughs> that new owner would have immediately said, I'm changing the name of this team on day one. We will undertake a, a thoughtful and considered study of what the new identity should be, but it, it will not be what it was because it was wrong. Um, that would have been one way it could have happened. The second would have been that Daniel Snyder could have gone on, undergone some sort of personal evolution that caused him to, to reverse course and disown many of the comments that he's made over the years passionately defending the old name. But that didn't happen. What happened was that George Floyd was murdered and business considerations forced his hand to change the name. Yep. There's no sense whatsoever that this bozo has evolved in any meaningful way. Um, and he's still at the helm. And that is a completely different set of circumstances around the way that this change will occur than in some of the other scenarios that I suggested or, or maybe ones I haven't. So I think people have a right to feel very cynical about the way that it's occurring um, versus maybe more positive about other ways that it could have happened. Well, this also goes back to the, some of the cynicism we talked about in the early part of the, the show, right? About, about say the, uh, these retro uniforms, right? That Steve brought up, right? The Adidas NHL, I don't know what they're calling them, retros or throwbacks and stuff. Um, you know, reverse, re- reverse retro, I think. Reverse retro. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, just, it's just another manifestation of the word money, right? And the business around it. And, and as we've talked about, you know, logos and team names and the merch and the associated uh, dollars that come along with those things, right? I mean, I'm, I can't defend Daniel Snyder on, on any different level, but, but you can understand where, you know, he is one of the small uh, bunch of folks owning an NFL football franchise, right? I mean, the last thing he as a business person is going to want to uh, say is that, oh, I'm going to now completely uh, write off and undermine the entire value proposition and the name and the, and the logo of my team, you know, that's from a business perspective, that's like, you know, taking a couple of shots to the heart. Right. But it's bigger than that. But, you know, it's the, the challenge is, you know, and this, this goes to another, another theme, right? A lot of what we talk about on this show is about what, you know, classically used to be. Right. And I don't want to say it was better back then, right? I'm I, in no way say that per se, right? But some aspects of it were, when pro sports in particular was a, I wouldn't call it more genteel, but certainly wasn't as big and dramatic and fragile a business enterprise as it is today. Certainly there were businesses and baseball, all these things, businesses always been in the, 
in the mix. But we're, we're talking about multi-billion dollar enterprises now where, you know, things are really, you know, uh, the, uh, to the extreme, I think. And, you know, what should be a relatively straightforward open and shut case when it comes to a logo and a name like, like that of the Washington Football Club, um, strangely and perversely, it gets more complicated by, I don't know, the, the, the bigger financial things that sort of loom in the background or the foreground. I don't know. I just I couldn't, I couldn't disagree with you more on this, Tim, to be honest with you, because what you know, you're what you're suggesting is there's these sort of business reasons that would hold back, you know, that are that are unfortunate, but if I'm hearing you correctly, it's like, oh, it's no, no, un- I'm not condoning it. I'm, I'm just saying about the unfortunate but justifiable yeah. that somebody would think I shouldn't change the name of the Redskins because there's a lot of money tied up in it. Oh, no, no. But I, no, I, no, I, no, I, no, I didn't mean that. My, my point, no, sorry. My point. Hold on, hold on. And let's yeah. leave aside for the moment that there might be a, a bonanza to reap from a new, well-regarded name. Um, just like there's a bonanza to reap from any time somebody reduce, you know, introduces a new logo or a new color scheme. Um, you know, on the one hand, we're suggesting there may be these business reasons that make it hard for a, a leader to change the name of the team. And yet at the same time, as we talked about with the Raiders, they're happy to yank, pull up stakes geographically <laughs> and and wipe out years of geographic legacy and fan. But like when you do that, you lose, you take your season ticket holders to zero and start over again. So, you know, the, the idea that it's, oh, it's hard for Daniel Snyder to change the name, and I can understand why it's hard. Well, that's kind of BS because these guys, we know that they're willing to make the hard decision when someone will build them a new stadium. So I don't give them any, I don't cut them any slack for, for considerations around team name. Oh, no, I, get, I, I guess my, my, my point was really more inelegantly said, uh, not said, is that um, – we're, you know, I, we're talking about like just these, these are major industrial enterprises now. And uh, the way that, um, that they're run, I mean, these are, I, I, the, uh, I, I got, what I'm trying to put a, a finger on is the, these are so, these are in, these are industries amongst themselves now, right? And to even get involved in, in an enterprise like that without recognizing just how, major and societally involved they are around lots of different sort of things. I mean, I guess you have to look back and ask yourself why, why it took so long, right? I mean, I know we, we certainly know what happened in 2020 is, is, is an example of it, but you said it before. And, and I think that's maybe where I've sort of come at it most, most organically is why did it take, you know, 50 years to sort of come to this sort of evolution and recognize that this name is, is, yeah, this is not something that literally just popped up on the radar this year, right? This has been a, a gnawing at 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 from of a lot of different perspectives for a long time. Why why do you think it took so long? Well, Tim, I think I, I took your point when you were talking about you know the simpler times of sports. In that, like you were saying, when it was less of a business, and I and I don't say that in the sense of business was justifying any of the decisions or non-decisions being made, but it goes to, I mean, just the simple thing of trademark. I mean, remember, it wasn't that long ago, um, hell, I think in the 70s, an Eastern Basketball League team called itself Brooklyn Dodgers. You know, one of the professional slow-pitch teams called itself Philadelphia A's. 
and of course, we all know 30s, 40s, every team name, you know, New York soccer, baseball, giant, everyone was giants. Then, and, and, and while owners wanted to make money and players wanted to get paid, it really was, it, 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 it wasn't as much of a business. And I think now that everything's become so business-like, I mean, I think you used the word industry. It really, in many ways, it's gone from sports to industry. And because of that, everyone's afraid to make a move unless there's guaranteed profit. And I think it goes to Andy's point. Well, yeah, I'll move and I'll uproot and abandon a fan base and leave them behind. And I don't care about my history to get more money, but Ooh, I don't know. This logo has been around 50 years. If I abandon it, someone else is going to make money on it. How can we keep our hands in it? Right or wrong, be damned. And, and everyone's sort of frozen by the monolithic business end of things. When again, 50 years ago, it was much simpler. I mean, that kind of cut both ways. No one was paying attention. I mean, the Philadelphia Warriors could have a, a, a terribly offensive logo, uh, but no one noticed as much because oh, it was pro basketball who was paying attention. Uh, I, I think the, the business has really corrupted, maybe too strong a word, or maybe too no, exact that's the word. word I was going for. I yeah, think I was going to say, corrupted. maybe, maybe yeah. it's the exact word. It's corrupted a lot of what is supposed to be sports and activity. And, uh, and, and I think, and, and that's where you see these problems. I mean, Andy's absolutely right. Let's not kid ourselves. Snyder didn't have an epiphany. He, he wasn't suddenly woke. His hand was forced because it was a terrible tragedy in Minneapolis. That it was finally what well, was, it was the, the, uh, was the galvanizing event that got a lot of people to say enough's enough. He, he, he didn't do this out of the goodness of his heart. Totally agree. Um, all right. Well, let, let's let, let's uh, segue into something that's a lot a lot less uh, controversial, and that is um, thoughts about who do you think might be next. Not sort of on the on the name perspective, but I'm talking about like franchises and maybe leagues and maybe perhaps sports themselves. Um, there there have been a lot of shocks to the system, so to speak. And uh, people listening to the show will go go three or four years back, and you know I've been sort of you know tilting at this idea that. Sports has, in some circles in the pro level, gotten maybe a little too too big and too moneyed and too big business. And and you know when I, you know, I and I'm a, a big soccer fan as you're going to find out there. But you know, thirty thirty two teams in Major League Soccer, uh, I, I was already sort of chafing at at you know maybe we're already at peaks uh, certain forms of this already, and now all of a sudden 2020 happens. Um, but I'll just throw out some names that I've seen over the last number of months. You guys have any opinions? Feel free to bite. But uh, the San Jose Sharks uh, in NHL, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, seem to be almost weekly now. Uh, A lot of it's both of them, both sort of stadium and facilities based. Uh, The CFL has basically shut down the entire season, and and it's that was already wobbly uh, financially before the pandemic hit, and and now people in certain circles are saying maybe it doesn't come back next year either. Um, Plus some others, I'm sure that we've talked about. But uh, do you guys see any? Uh, teams or leagues or or situations that uh, you wonder how they may come back or might not last in their current places of domicile? I think the answer is a lot different for the teams in the big four uh, than it is for everybody else. Uh, The teams in the big four uh, are probably dealing right now with what is a limited interruption in uh, TV income. And after that's done, uh, I think they're, they're planning on seeing that uh, take its usual uh, steep incline uh, increasing all the time. Uh, I think it's very likely that the a- next NFL contract will be 
uh, significantly better than this one, just as they always are. Uh, so uh, kind of where some of these teams are and are not, uh, if they're serious about moving or if they're just trying to, to, to leverage something in their current community, uh, you know, sometimes that takes years to play out. Uh, the older I get, I guess the the less interested I I am in that. Um, I just hate to see fan bases abandoned, um, as we saw in Oakland. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, uh, these moves aren't uh, because of what we we just discussed. Because of the largesse of the business, uh, they're not typically done. Uh, lightly. So you're not going to see anybody loading up the Mayflower moving vans and heading out of town in the dead of night, as we saw with the Baltimore Colts. Uh, it, it, it's well vetted. It's meant to to make the current community think long and hard about putting more money into a facility, which is usually the, the chief issue. Uh, and uh, right now, for instance, in the NFL, we have 32 teams. So how many other communities are going to pony up that kind of dough to attract somebody? Uh, is it going to be, you know, Orlando? Uh, who's going to do it? Yeah, I, I think the Canadian Football League, either individual teams or, or the league is itself, that's on my sort of watch list. And I would also put um, Major League Lacrosse, which is the outdoor yes. lacrosse league. Um, which now has a competitor competing with it for for attention and also for the best players um, and, and seems to be at a crossroads and kind of not – and spinning its wheels even without the pandemic. Sounds like Steve – Steve knows more about lacrosse than I do, so I'll, I'm interested to know what he has to say. Yeah, I, I first I'd agree with the CFL. I mean, I, I have family in Canada, and the fact that that league survived – as long as it has, it really is almost like muscle memory. I mean, it's not particularly good football. It's a different brand that, 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 that uh, has its charms. But, I mean, everyone pays attention to the NFL. So, you know, whether this will be the death knell. And since people, if you've gone a season or two without it, maybe you don't miss it and that muscle memory goes away. I think um, outdoor, outdoor lacrosse, frankly, both leagues uh, are, are, are going to have uh, – it's going to be interesting times. Major League Lacrosse, which is the one that started in 2001 and is the traditional uh, team team and city model, it had been struggling even before Paul Rabel, who was one of the great stars of the game, uh, got together with his brother and formed the Premier Lacrosse League, which was an entirely different model. Uh, it was paying its players much differently and provided health care. But more to the point, in lieu of putting teams in actual cities, they were going with this traveling circus kind of a, a, a scenario model where you'd go to a city and it'd be a long weekend. It was lacrosse weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and there'd be games, but more to the point, they'd be exhibitors, almost like a convention. Uh, the model, like the very total opposite of what you should be doing in a pandemic. So how quickly that vaccine comes around, how quickly people – uh, become comfortable with being in crowds again may affect that sport. Now, they at least have some TV money. NBC actually uh, is, uh, is invested in them, so maybe that will keep them going. My big take um, that uh, maybe will create some buzz is this. I think 
we all you remember the term bubble economy. We heard it, you know, in two thousand with when when AOL was buying Times Warner, Time Warner. Yeah, the bubble, the internet bubble economy, the the concept of bubble economy. Frankly, I think professional soccer is 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 at a bubble stage, and whether it's not qualifying for another World Cup or whether some some event, I, I think it's not going to take much to have pro soccer at all levels, but particularly MLS, go from where it's at now. And we're not quite sure what it is because, again, levels of success as everyone cooks books to keep it from the players' union and stuff, no one can really tell. It's plummeting to, to a, a real problem. And, and, Tim, you've mentioned a couple times about the expansion. I mean, we know why MLS is expanding. It's not just the Ponzi scheme element of expansion. It's to keep out a rival league. I mean, all of us here, it's funny, all of us here have had a lot of fun documenting rival leagues, but we really don't get to do that anymore. There are no more ABAs, WHAs, or AFLs. The, the, uh, the monopolies that currently exist have figured out how to keep that from happening. Anytime there's a market that might be getting big enough, you just you go there. You don't let it sit outside so it could be the cornerstone of a rival. Well, that's what MLS is doing. And uh, because they know they're right to have a rival league challenge them, whether it's providing, whisper quietly, a pro-rel approach or whatever. And so they're expanding quickly. It's not quite Phil Woosnam's NASL, but they're expanding quickly. And, and, I, and I don't know if, it, frankly, I don't know if this, if its current wave of success is a little more than just a bubble, a fad, a fad almost like the original NASL. Yeah, people went to Minnesota Kicks games because they liked the tailgating. Then they got tired of tailgating and the kicks folded. Right now, MLS is booming based on a supporters' culture. At some point, does that flame out? I mean, again, with the pandemic, I haven't had to go to games for a year. Hey, gee, maybe it wasn't that much fun after all. I'll spend my money elsewhere. I think soccer, pro soccer, and we've seen it, you know, USL. I think, like you pointed out, Tim, in your notes, you have a team win the title and then fold in USL. Yeah, Reno, um, 1860. Yeah. I mean, but some I, of that, I though, think, is stadium-based, though, too. I, that yeah. We're not making progress on. And that's the real estate and big business thing re- rearing its head again, right? It's, right. It, we talk about, like, the Atlanta Braves, for example. I mean, they, they're, they're basically playing in an office park now. That's like their little, their little Disneyland of Atlanta Braves, even though it's in one of the higher, you know, uh, moneyed uh, uh, suburbs and, and, you know, rips it out from the soul of, the, of downtown Atlanta. So, I, you know, it comes back to my big business thing again, corrosion. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting, you know, with the with the soccer discussion, because soccer has been the growth sport uh, lately. Uh, you've just you've seen it in MLS. You've seen it in USL uh, with the establishment of USL one. Uh, I think, you know, if if there's if there's room for argument on the other side, uh, and especially when we view it in light of the old NASL, is that there are so many more publicly uh, paid for soccer uh, stadiums now so that uh, civically uh, there's reason that you don't want to see these fail uh, because you've got a big old investment in a soccer stadium out there. Uh, It it bears watching Uh, the Reno situation. uh, I think, uh, you know, you ran into a situation where it didn't look like they were going to be able to get a stadium anytime soon. And I think uh, really the pandemic uh, solidified that uh, to their ownership group, solidified that uh, we are just not going to see anything happen anytime soon. Maybe we're two, three, are we five years down the line 
before we have our own facility and can actually make a financial goal of this? Uh, too many questions, so they pulled the plug. Uh, you know, successful team on the field seemed to have a lot going for it, and all of a sudden it's gone. Uh, how many more teams are like that? And if you look at USL as a whole, how many of these uh, MLS farm teams are going to be left in the league in two years? Uh, it seems like the MLS is already starting to, to kind of pull back a little bit. And, you know, what's interesting is what, that's what gave them the leg up over the NASL a couple years ago. So it will be interesting to watch how it all develops. Yeah, well, a, a couple of couple other things on that, and then we'll, we'll round the corner here. So, Steve, you brought up an interesting sort of point, which is, I wanted to go a little deeper on, is, is, is there a new model at play here? That sort of, uh, you know, that sort of uh, uh, team weekend, or sorry, that uh, circus coming to town kind of weekend model, right, where instead of uh, domiciling into, into stadiums and having a home schedule, so to speak, but literally trying to spread it around. I mean, we've seen it with the big three. We, you know, I think there's there, – I think uh, – uh, the uh, soon apparently launch next year, uh, Major League Cricket's going to do the same thing, right? Where they're going to literally take all their eight teams and they, it's a it's one full weekend of of games from you know featuring teams from various places, and they'll hit all eight markets maybe once or twice. Um, it's a different model, right? Uh, it seems less expensive, perhaps, and more event centric. Um, I, I don't know. Could that be a a different model for? Maybe not the big four or five, but maybe other fledgling leagues that, you know, are looking for the, the, the best model uh, for their particular, don't call them niche sports. No, it could be. I mean, Rabel's no fool. I've read, I read his, uh, his business model, and, and, he, and he made some good points. He said, look, you know, uh, one, uh, the, the fans today, and he, he's generally talking about younger fans, they're more focused on players than teams. Um, and, you know, the, the days of – Worry of having great pride in your hometown team are over. You're not limited by the geographic, um, by only being able to root for your hometown team because that's the only one you get to see with television and the internet. You know, a kid in New Jersey can be a Lakers fan and get away with it. So you really don't need to be geographically tethered anymore. And so, and, and you're also looking for revenue streams, particularly where there's only so much TV money, even with live sports being the most you know, in, in the world of uh, DVR and things like that, live sports are the, are the most marketable um, content, is the most marketable content on television because it's the one thing that advertisers know they're going to get their uh, money's worth out of because people are watching live. Um, there's only so much space. So where do you get the revenue streams? Well, maybe it's by doing it as an event. You know, it's going to be a three-day lacrosse carnival. Day one, come meet your players and sign up for camps and buy stuff and day two is a game or whatever. It, it's, it generates revenue streams. It generates excitement. And, and it, it, in some ways, it, although it's always the teams who are exploiting uh, the municipalities, it, 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 in some ways, maybe there's an advantage to the league as opposed to the individual teams taking that whole uh, being able to extort a community out of the mix. I mean, it, it's been a bad look for the NFL a couple of times every time the Raiders move. Indeed, they famously tried to stop it and lost in court back when they moved from uh, Oakland to L.A. Maybe that's a plus. Um, Major League League Cricket's going to do that. Now, for what it's worth, um, Canada had a global T20. They they basically did that with a cricket league in in, uh, uh, 17 and 18, or 18 and 19, I'm sorry. And 
it was, a, you know, not all that successful because cricket's problem is, and I've become a real aficionado of it over the last year, so I'm not saying this in a negative way, but cricket's problem is they're doing these leagues and they're basically only targeting uh, those of uh, Indian and West Indian um, uh, descent. It's almost like early pro soccer here. Uh, they, they, I don't think they have any intent of trying to broaden its base. So I'm not quite sure what they're looking to do there, other than the fact there, there are a lot of Indians in the United States, and and uh, and apparently in India they would love to pay and broadcast, pay for and broadcast American cricket to the people at home. So that's going to be interesting. But that, that's I think Major League Cricket's been on the books a couple of years now. It was not getting off the ground even pre-pandemic, so who knows if they're ever really going to pull that off? Andy, uh, any any thoughts? About, and and Andy, what, in particular, how do what do you think about the uh, future of? And given your uh, experience in um, various aspects of of the women's pro soccer game, um, uh, the NWSL, uh, I think, in many respects, has continued to defy odds, given the previous two strikes, I guess. Um, and and they seem to be, you know, uh, not only succeeding in terms of how they went back to market as the as sports ramp back up, but they're 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 expanding next year. It looks like Louisville's going to be a, a quite a quite a solid franchise given the uh, the success of the USL men's franchise thus far with the new stadium. Yeah, I don't know. I I always feel a little gun shy about commenting on women's soccer because I used to be <laughs> so knowledgeable about it, and now I'm. I have to remind myself how much of an outsider I am to that. But you have more professional experience than the three of us combined when it comes to the game. So. <laughs> no, yes, I understand that. So I, I just, I always, I don't want to over, I don't want to, um, I don't want to suggest that my crystal ball has anything, any, any substance behind it, I guess. Um, you know, the, yeah, the, the um, okay, so, so here's, so, so NWSL has done a lot of things really well. They are um, attracting well-heeled investors for expansion franchises. I don't think they're immune to what Steve just described about the question of like, is this a bubble? You know, are, are some of these franchises, you know, um, elements of a sort of conspicuous consumption? which is in some ways, like if you look at the investors behind the new LA sort of celebrity heavy, but also money rich um, investors behind the new Angel City FC, which is the LA expansion franchise for NWSL. um, You know, there's great things about that. I mean, the the league's attracting big money of people who are serious about playing in real stadiums. They've kind of moved on from the sort of mom and pop days of some of these franchises that were in women's professional soccer when I was working there 10 years ago. But yeah, I guess the question is, you know, how much, how much um, staying power I suppose is there and that remains to be seen. Um, But I, I, I guess in a lot of ways, I feel like they're kind of in the best, in the best shape they've ever been in. Um, So that that's encouraging. No, I, 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 I tend to agree with you. And, um, and clearly, uh, uh, as the women's national team continues to far outpace the men's side on uh, occasionally on the legal front, thankfully, uh, but also certainly on the field, uh, you, you think that there's uh, some, some nurturing elements there that, frankly, uh, a potentially 
you know, teetering MLS or, or weaker MLS can't fall back on or, or uh, commingle with uh, as the men's team continues to kind of flail on the, on the international stage. All right, let me uh, throw out one. Timmy, let me t- Tim, let me tell you one more story before we move on from that. Please. Subject. This is something that I, I think I probably wrote on Fun Mall. It lasted 10 years ago when I started, and I was really writing a lot about women's soccer because I was still there. Um, but th- there was some success getting expansion franchises, even in the sort of darker days of that league. So the last year of the pr- prior women's league, women's professional soccer, they managed to sell an expansion franchise to um, – a rich guy in upstate New York for, I think, I think he paid three quarters of a million dollars to get into the league. Um, but something I, I wrote at the time was um, at that point, you'd had, you know, three years of the women's United soccer association. You'd had three years of women's professional soccer. The women's United soccer association never expanded. They started with eight teams and they finished with the same eight. Women's professional soccer had a few expansion franchises over its three-year existence, and NWSL has had a bunch of expansion franchises. The thing that women's soccer hasn't had is it hasn't had franchises change hands for a significant amount of money. So to me, that's the next step. And and I said this 10 years ago, when's that going to happen? There was a team... In, in, in the longest the, the longest running proudest women's professional soccer team was called the Washington Freedom that existed from 2001 to 2010. It had been Mia Hamm's team. It was the team that got Abby Wambach's pro career launched. And it changed hands um, in November 2010. And we won't have to get into that sordid story today, but it changed hands for zero dollars. It was, it was the, the owner ran out of gas. Another guy took it for agreeing to take on the debts. I don't know that there, you know, it's interesting that you see, um, you know, these, you keep seeing people come into the NWSL and pay expansion fees and, and, and buy a team. I'm not sure we've seen anybody buy an existing franchise for $5 million, $10 million, $15 million. So when's that going to happen? That, that to me is what's happening in established leagues is you, you have the, the, the franchise has a value <laughs> that um, somebody could hope to make money from flipping it. And, and that seems like the next step of development for the women's game. Yeah. And it also, it also speaks to one of the long running tensions that we've sort of explored on the show, which is sort of the central ownership versus franchise model or, or various permutations of both. Right. And, you know, in essence, uh, a lot of the, the premise, at least historically has been, you know, you, you own a franchise or you're, you, you own a an operating license, shall we say, in the the centralized enterprise, uh, and then it's you know you you commit to putting dollars or hopefully putting money into operating, and then you hope that it appreciates over a period of time, and then you get out, and that hence the the attractiveness of the supposed investment. I you know I I think if anything, we're also now seeing it. I, this sort of dovetails into my last sort of real uh, question here, and that's uh, or observation, and that's. <laughs> despite economic uncertainties, despite a global pandemic, despite uh, all kinds of, uh, of cultural upheaval and, and political division and, and all kinds of issues, there's still a seemingly unsatiated appetite for professional sports, right? They keep coming, right? Uh, some of these you may or may not be familiar with, but we already mentioned the, uh, 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 the, the next sort of attempt for, for cricket uh, in this country. But uh, SRX Racing, uh, Tony Stewart and friends, right, kind of trying to take on NASCAR 
uh, with a bit more of a, I guess, a return to roots kind of approach where dirt tracks and smaller ovals and, you know, uh, more family friendly kinds of things versus sort of the big gigantic, uh, uh, you know, uh, 100,000 seat uh, uh, spectacles that that NASCAR has perhaps uh, gotten away from its roots. I, interesting, right? Um, Athletes Unlimited to me. I, I don't know much you guys know about that, but that 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 had a small um, uh, start this year in the midst of all of this. Uh, and it is uh, apparently, it seems to be sort of a, uh, a sort of a second tier sort of sports mecca with, with some money behind it, private equity in particular, uh, where things like softball and, and, uh, some other sports that have been either underrepresented or, or, or malnourished over, over the years with participation, both uh, not only on the field, but off the field financially with uh, the players and, and the folks involved where um, in essence, it's almost like a, a uh, it seems almost like a, like a, a, a hothouse of various sports and structure um, to, uh, to bring some kind of rooting uh, to some of these sports, including obviously television and other revenue streams. I, uh, the uh, the NBA's G League, right, seems to be evolving with their pathway program, right, which I think a lot of people have been maybe waiting for it as a, as a true alternative to going to the NCAA to play basketball for one year and going to the pros, right, maybe creating a true alternative to – I guess the point is, when does it stop? I mean, a lot of things get announced. That we, Lord knows, I, here's my annual sort of uh, resurrection of the uh, the professional futsal league that was announced how many years ago now, Steve? <laughs> Uh, with, uh, with Mark Cuban and friends. Um, first of all, those in particular, what are your thoughts, uh, if any? Uh, and number two, uh, why do people keep stepping up, going to the well? And number three, has anybody been paying attention to what's going on in the world? Like that this is a good idea, especially next year for this kind of stuff, new stuff? I, uh, to answer your question directly, I don't think it stops. It, it evolves. Uh, it, it becomes a little bit different each time. Uh, you know, even in the face of a bubble economy. Uh, you know, we just slide down the level a little bit. Instead of ECHL teams launching, there's Federal Hockey League teams launching. Uh, as long as I think we have urban centers, as uh, suburban areas even, where you have people seeking entertainment, people want to try this. There's, there's something to the lure of sports uh, as a business uh, that... Uh, some rich or semi-rich guys will uh, continue to launch these leagues. The the makeup may change a little bit, but I think you're always going to see this. And for that, I'm pretty grateful. I agree. I mean, you're all, someone's always going to look for the next big thing. You know, I mean, I'm, pro football probably seemed like a total waste of time in the 1920s, and now it's a multi-billion dollar business so, so, so someone's going to hope whether like pro soccer in the uh, in the late 60s or world team tennis or box lacrosse someone's going to hope or volleyball someone's going to hope they found the next big thing where they can get in on the ground floor and on the cheap and it's going to grow into a multi-billion dollar thing like all the other sports and as long as that hope is out there uh, just like for the same reason people keep trying to invent things uh, I think uh, we're going to continue to see this kind of churn. And uh, and like Paul said, yeah, I, I hope so because, uh, you know, if it's successful, it's great. And if it's not successful, it gives me something else to write about. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't add anything to that, Tim, other than, you know, there's always, there's always a new idea. 
and um, P.T. Barnum's, you know, words are all, also always true about there being another sucker. Um, you know, some of those ideas are good, some of them not so good. I just know that when I look forward to 2021, I just hope I'm getting to go to some kind of game someplace, get to sit in the stands for the first time since 2019 and see any sport in action. That's my hope for the new year. All right. Well, speaking of that, let's uh, let's wrap up with your individual thoughts about um, – maybe not only what you maybe want to take a stab at a prediction or two, what you think might sort of evolve in 2021, pick a, pick a, pick anything doesn't really matter. Uh, but then also maybe personally what you're uh, what you may be uh, harboring for uh, your own efforts uh, as it relates to this crazy little uh, uh, genre that we've uh, stumbled into each other uh, on um, uh, any works or projects or ideas that, you've got uh, individually, personally percolating. Andy, why don't we start with, uh, with you and uh, we'll uh, go back down the, down the row or not anybody. Go ahead. I'll jump in. Um, I guess for for my 2021, I can, I could, I could say that after 25 years of uh, being primarily involved with uh, American soccer history, I'm, I'm stepping away from it pretty much entirely. Um, It's just time to move on. There's a lot of, Newer people coming in who have the enthusiasm um, for it. I mean, for me, it stopped being fun chronicling failure over and over again. And and, and as, as I kind of indicated earlier, I don't. I, I have a bad feeling about it going forward. Instead, I've been diving into lacrosse, uh, crosscheck.com. You know, you've mentioned a couple times. A lot of history there to mine. Um, a lot of work to do. And uh, most recently, I've, I've decided this um, pro- professional basketball in this country has really been underserved as far as its history. I mean, it, 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 from the NBA on down, it seems uh, everyone wants to think it started with Michael Jordan. Uh, some people may go all the way back and say it started with uh, Bird and Magic. And yet there's a lot of stuff, a lot of pro leagues, just uh, going all the way back to – you know, the, the, the beginning of the 1900s, it's worth documenting. I'm finding film, I'm finding articles. So sports history continues to entertain me. Um, uh, previously, I had done some world team tennis work. Uh, be uh, With this book coming out now, maybe I'll go back to that register and make it available to people. So um, I have that going on. As far as big 2021 predictions, uh, can't, even, can't even begin to start. Not a clue. Philadelphia Union, Philadelphia Union choking a few more finals games, whether cup final or MLS final, and I guess that's that. All right, and where, where can people follow you? What's the best place on social to, to follow you, Steve, for your, your exploits? Uh, the website is crosscheck.com. That's with the E, like in a lacrosse stick. Uh, on social media, I'm basically spending all my time on Twitter uh, at Envelopost. That's where I'm doing all my basketball stuff. And, and of course, I guess there's also at LaxMaven, M-A-V-N, for the lacrosse stuff. Uh, and just a, a quick uh, uh, tip. Uh, in the, uh, in sometime in uh, uh, March, we are looking forward to uh, having an interview with uh, Syl Sobel and Jay Rosenstein, who have a book coming out in April about the EBL, the Eastern Professional Basketball League, the predecessor of the CBA. So, uh, maybe some notes to share with you there, and a, an episode or two to come on on that. So uh, there, there are always uh, the, the, the basketball seems to be uh, uh, still full and ripe for uh, for further 
for further thoughts. All right, uh, gentlemen. They'll, 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 yeah. they'll be happy to hear. I've already pre-ordered it. Fantastic. So. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I'd like to say we, we had some, something to do with it, but we didn't because the episode's not out yet, but I digress. Yeah. Uh, Paul, Andy, your uh, things, uh, thoughts for 2021. Excuse me. You know, I'll, I will make a little bit of a prediction. I think the first three months of the year are going to continue to be a little rough, uh, but then I think things get a lot better. Um, I just think having vaccines available, uh, not only uh, it, it gives people hope, um, and I think that if we can protect uh, kind of the most vulnerable people from uh, from COVID, uh, that's that's a great thing. Uh, we also see kind of the mortality rate plummet, um, but I think the hope is the bigger thing. Um, then, as we head into kind of the middle of the year, second half of the year, uh, you know, I, I feel that people are going to feel more comfortable attending events. I don't think that that's necessarily going to happen all at once, uh, but it will happen. Um, we'll get there. Uh, the, as far as um, what I'm working on, um, continuing to expand statscrew.com. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the, the leagues that I'm, I'm looking at closely is the Eastern Basketball League. Would love to document uh, the statistical history of the league, uh, those who played in it, those who coached in it, uh, discovering uh, kind of some of these forgotten leagues uh, where somebody has a statistical history stocked away in an, you know, long forgotten Excel file uh, or even raw material uh, where we can rebuild the statistical history. Uh, that That's uh, become pretty exciting to me. Uh, in addition, uh, I'll be running OurSportsCentral.com uh, as I have for the last 20 years. Uh, kind of documenting all these these new endeavors and the continuing endeavors and and the failing ones as well. Uh, you know, to me that this is just an industry that's always been a lot of fun, dating back uh, to my beloved USFL, uh, MISL. You know, right up through today uh, and all the different leagues we see, the the, the traveling ones and uh, all the new ideas. It, it's fun to see which of these business propositions and, and Steve, you mentioned the, the premier lacrosse league, um, how they play out, uh, you know, how in the current climate uh, they're affected. So, you know, just really looking forward to the new year. And I, and I think we will see things uh, a lot better than this year. I hope you're right. Andy, you get the, uh, the last word uh, last, but certainly not least. Yeah. And I apologize for going going dark on you there a minute ago. I was not trying to manipulate my way into the last word. Um, <laughs> but it worked very well, nonetheless. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I feel no confidence in making <laughs> interesting predictions for next year, unfortunately. Um, I, I do think minor league baseball will keep me very busy at funnelatlasted.net, chronicling the demise of beloved and sometimes not so beloved teams. Um, my hopes for the year is, you know, I hope to get to um, experience the sports that my kids are interested in and get to, you know, watch it through their far less sort of business focused eyes on the game and really enjoy it just as the pure competition and spectacle that um, sports are when kids uh, see them. So, you know, I'm hoping we'll be able to go, 
you know, by the end of next year, be able to go back to games with them and, and let them choose what those games are and, and, and kind of watch it through their eyes. And I'm looking forward to, you know, watching what all three of you guys are up to next year and, you know, Steve's new direction and Tim's podcast and Paul's build out of his family of sites. And, um, yeah, for, for myself, I hope to create some more time to do more interviews, which is always really difficult with um, work and kids and all that. But that's where all the best stories are, you know, is talking to the people who are there. So like you do every week, Tim. So really appreciate what you do and enjoy being part of your podcast each year. Absolutely. Oh, you, you guys are kind. I, I Look, I appreciate your, your tolerating my uh... – uh, my entreaties and uh, who knows, I mean, we, uh, how we sort of come up with these things each and every week uh, 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 kind of uh, uh, surprises me even. But um, I, again, the, the longer we go at this, uh, the, I, we're in the, you know, the, the audience for this is, uh, I look at the weekly numbers and, and, and I look at the geography of who listens to this stuff, or at least where they're being downloaded and listened to. I mean, there's no corner of the globe that doesn't listen to this stuff. Um, I'm sure there's a diaspora. It's, it's just general interest about sports. A uh, particular league or a particular team, I don't know. There's, there's, it's uh, and I think we've just kind of scratched the surface. I mean, sadly, uh, and I think Andy, you're hinting at it. Um, you know, life does intervene, right? I'd love to be able to do this full time and you know make a nice, gigantic, profitable enterprise out of all this, but it's a labor of love, and um, and sometimes it just takes on way too much time. Uh, but I, I I I don't I relish every minute of it because it's a hell of a lot of fun. I learn stuff every single time I talk to to people both, uh, you know, uh, regularly like you guys, as well as new people. And, uh, I'm just, I'm just frankly, frankly, uh, flabbergasted by, uh, how many people, how it resonates with people, what, as we stumble onto topics that are interesting to them. So thank you for, uh, sticking with me and, uh, and saying yes, when I email you for questions and, uh, and, and to uh, spots here on the show and stuff and, uh, all the best for 2021. Uh, let's hope it's all safe and healthy and, and all of us sort of are in a better place and we can actually return to some of the, the enjoyment of professional sports like we arguably got involved in when we first became uh, interested in. And um, thank you for your support. And uh, I look forward to uh, reflecting that back ongoing uh, as you need it to, uh, to from, from, from us here. So uh, best for uh, the, the holidays and the new year, guys. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, you too, Tim. Tim. Stay safe. Well, thank you tremendously, gentlemen. I appreciate it very much. Mr. Steve Holroyd and Andy Crossley and Paul Reese, I appreciate uh, that great conversation. And we look forward to another fun-filled year. And we'll hope to get back and do it again, uh, I guess. And uh, if uh, 2020 was any indication of uh, the craziness uh, that uh, might face us in not only in life in general, but this crazy little genre that we've carved out for ourselves, well... I'm pretty certain that we're going to have plenty to talk about uh, for next year's third annual show as well. Uh, as we wrap up uh, this uh, this year, uh, we want to thank each and every one of you for your listenership and uh, all those folks who've written in and, and continue to uh, send us ideas and commentary and uh, suggestions and all that kind of stuff. We appreciate it. We got a lot of uh, fun stuff uh, planned for 2021. Hopefully, they got some commerce ideas. We've got... Uh, uh, some improvements, perhaps, to the website. We've got a whole host of great guests already lined up. Uh, just so much more that uh, we want to do and hopefully we'll have the opportunity to do uh, as we turn the page on 
a crap year of 2020 and uh, and look forward to a more hopeful and uh, healthy and happier year in 2021. Um, our thanks, of course, go out to uh, our great and longtime pal, Jerry Payne. We cannot and could not do this show without his efforts uh, each and every week. His editing skills uh, are uh, beyond top notch, and um, we are indebted to his services uh, each and every week for God, almost four years now. And uh, we thank him for sticking around with us and not abandoning us in our our moments of need uh, as we uh, often uh, find ourselves in each and every week. Uh, Jerry Payne, audio excellence, excellence uh, underscored and, and underlined and, and uh, in all caps uh, this week for sure. Uh, let's see. Um, if you want to find out more about the show, you're relatively new to it, whatever, go to our website. Why don't you at goodseatsstillavailable.com. That's your sort of locus for everything there. All the old episodes are there for you and all kinds of great stuff. If you want to follow us on social media, please, by all means, do so. Uh, there's a little Facebook de- uh, page devoted to us. You can follow us on Instagram at Good Seats Still Available. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Good Seats Still. You want to send us some email? By all means, please do so. We're at hello at goodseatsstillavailable.com. And yes, we've got a weekly email newsletter that we send out uh, to keep uh, people abreast of what's going to be uh, sort of the next episode. Uh, you could find a link to that on our website somewhere. Just give us your name and email address and boom, you're in. Uh, let's see. I think that's kind of it. Uh, I just, I pray and hope that, uh, this year, uh, has been, um, you know, something that you've survived and, and positioned well to hopefully, um, meet the new year, uh, with, uh, with health and, uh, and, uh, sobriety and happiness and, uh, all kinds of hopefully good stuff to come. So let's hang in there. We know it's going to be probably a difficult winter, but, uh, we want to see you, uh, robust and, uh, and downloading us for uh, for the weeks and months and years to come. Uh, so please do whatever you need to do to stay safe and, uh, and uh, sane in the process. And we'll look forward to seeing you very soon as the new year approaches. Of course, we can't leave you without, uh, as we like to do, I guess now in our <laughs> each and every holiday season, we try to find a, a, a chestnut, a holiday musical chestnut, perhaps that uh, has just eluded you in the spirit of defunct and uh, and long forgotten and uh here we go it's uh it's yes from our friends the universal robot band yes remember them probably not now this was a one-hit wonder i think on the red greg records label from 1977 if you can believe it it's a it's a disco christmas everybody so let's uh enjoy and uh, we'll see you soon take care and happiest of holidays bye-bye We got a cool with that job. I'm hip. Add a little soul to this white Christmas. I can dig it, Bob. Get a little fun. Right on, brother. Come on, Rudolph. Hitch up that sleigh. We're going to fly down and have ourselves a disco Christmas.
that? You know, being stuck up here at the North Pole so long. Yeah. I never learned how to do the hustle. Shoot, boy, you can't hustle. Santa. What now? Hey, I can't boogie neither. Shame on you, boy. Hey, Rudolph, you want to know something? Yeah. I can't dance myself. But let's try to work it out in these new platform boots. Rudolph, 